Man, we can go home right now. We can go home right now, but we won't. I'm going to go right into the message. This is an important one. I'm so glad to see so many of you here today. I'm so, so glad. Because we're, we're in this series entitled Foundations. And what we're going to be talking about today is probably the most important building block as it pertains to life here on earth. Okay? You know, there's certain things that we're not going to need to have active when we're in heaven. Okay? Uh, we're not going to need the gifts of the Spirit in heaven because we're going to have everything that we need that's been held back from us here on earth by the enemy. Um, And this, what I'm talking about today, faith. Faith. I'm talking about the force of faith. The weapon of faith is the most necessary thing here on earth next to the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in between services, I was kind of thinking about the message, and it kind of dropped in my heart that we need to present faith and the Holy Ghost. Faith and the Holy Spirit, which are two subjects. When you put me in that atmosphere of teaching on faith and the Holy Spirit, I can go on for weeks because it's the thing that just lights my jets. Faith and the Holy Spirit. In that order, that's what the Lord spoke to me between the services. I did it wrong because I taught on Holy Spirit last week. Didn't have that revelation yet. We need to talk about faith and the Holy Ghost. In these end times that we're in, the most important thing is faith and the Holy Ghost. The most important thing in your life, faith and the Holy Ghost. Now, faith comes by hearing hearing and hearing the Word of God. And the reason why faith is important because you need to know the Word first before you really can interact with the Holy Spirit. See, many people say, well, the Lord told me. And then when they tell you, you know to yourself, no, that wasn't God because there's nowhere in the Bible that the Lord ever said that. You see what I'm saying? And you know, even Paul said there's many voices in the land, none that are insignificant, but you need to know the Word of God so that you can discern, that you would be able to to, to, to split off and say, okay, that is God because it's confirmed in the word. That what I'm hearing, that impression that I'm getting, that's either my mind or the enemy trying to infiltrate my mind. Okay, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but forgive me because I'm very excited. Might not seem that way, but I am because this here, let me put it to you this way. Okay, you're going you're gonna to see a lot of this, uh, this excitement because you're sitting right now in the manifestation of faith. The chair you're sitting on right now came into being through faith. What, Pastor, what are you talking about? Here's, let me just make it real plain for you. 25 years, in September of this year, it'll be 25 years that this ministry exists. Listen to me. Listen to me. It doesn't, uh, I have no, no sense of 25 years. For me, it might as well have started last week, okay? Because I'm, I'm always looking ahead. Okay? Now, listen. My wife's on the front seat. My, my cousin. How many know Pastor Pam is my first cousin? Okay. Uh, okay. Her and her husband. We, 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 we had to 
get in God's face. What do you want to do, Lord? When years ago, when the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you're going you're gonna to go to Bible school, you're going to come back, and you're going to start a church in Bricktown. That wasn't convenient because there already was a church in Bricktown, and I was part of it. And so God had to remove me off the scene for two years and then came back. When we come back, we had nothing. We had a lot of word in us, a lot of vision. But you see, word and vision without... Anybody know what this means? Word and vision without resources stay in the realm of the unseen. So we had to believe God for every single thing. I, would I wouldn't change it at all. We didn't have somebody to come along and say, here's $10 million. This is going to support your vision for the next 25 years. No. We had to believe each step of the way, each step of the way, each step of the way, each step of the way. Finding a promise of God and the word of God, standing on that promise, thanking God for it, and seeing him bring it to pass. I would not live any other way. You listening to me? And my desire is that every person that calls New Beginnings their home church would begin to operate in that level of faith because, number one, it pleases God. I'm getting ahead of myself. Forgive me. I'm, I'm like serving dessert before the appetizer comes out, okay? When you live by faith, no matter how many mistakes you make, but when you live by faith, God is honored and God is pleased, because for you to operate in faith means that you're willing to trust him with everything. You listening? So, part five, foundation series, is this statement here. When you were born again, faith became your way of life. When you became born again, faith became your way of life. How, how did you get born again? By faith, right? The very first action step that you took in your relationship with God was to, by faith, declare what you already believed in your heart as it pertains to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God, that he came to this earth and died on the cross for your sins and mine, and that God raised him from the dead. You believed that in your heart, and you spoke with your mouth, which was your first action step in your relationship with God. In other words, the greatest miracle that you ever see come to pass, if you're born again already, you've already experienced it. You already operated in faith enough to allow God to remove you off the path of going to hell and to transfer you over into this journey with him, this walk with God, which will extend into eternity. You already did the most miraculous thing that any person could do on earth. What is it about us Christians that once we get born again, then we get a toothache and we're like, oh my God, doesn't God see my pain? Where is he? Why isn't he doing something about this? It's like we treat everything hard after we get to, we do the most hardest thing that we could ever possibly do. Get translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, and then after that, we get, we get bogged down with challenges of life. Trust him. Trust him. So, let me read you a statement from Billy Graham. Obviously, this is before he passed away. 
I'm like, man, nobody's listening today. Forgive me if I stumble over things. I've got a little uh, lozenge thing, whatever you call it, Ricola stuff, because when I talk a lot, my throat sometimes gets dry. So here's what Billy Graham had to say about faith. Faith pleases God more than anything else. The Christian life is dependent upon faith. We stand on faith. We live on faith. Faith is loved and honored by God more than any other single thing. The Bible teaches that faith is the only approach that we have to God. Listen to this closely. No man has sins forgiven. No man goes to heaven. No man has assurance of peace and happiness until he has faith in Jesus Christ. That is rock-solid truth. So let me tell you a little bit about how I go about to get these messages together. I'm not third generation in the ministry. I'm first, I'm first generation in this country and first generation in the kingdom. So I didn't have a great-grandfather who was a pastor for 100 years that I could call up and go, hey, how do I do this? How do we do that? Okay? And just the way things just happened, the way the path that God put us on. Once we graduated from Bible school, came back here. Now, I, I was in a great church before that, taught faith, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, wonderful. But it's one thing to sit there where you are. It's another thing to be up here. Okay? So, so when that time came, I had to step out and just trust God. Now, I'm going to try to make this really quick because there's a point I want to make. When you train yourself, and only you can do it. I can't do it for you. God can't do it for you. You have to train your spirit and your soul to trust God. Now, I'm not telling you it's going to be easy in the beginning, but man, does it pay off. Okay? So all these years now, it'll be 25 years in this coming September that this church exists. From day one, we had to trust God for everything. But I had to trust God to get up here and be able to have the word, the message that was going to be appropriate for the flock, okay? Because seasons change, and sometimes sheep want to eat this stuff, and then sometimes sheep need, sheep need to eat that stuff. So the shepherd's got to be sensitive. Okay, what season are we in? Okay? So, so I've developed this habit, and I honestly didn't even realize I was doing it. Probably 10 years I didn't realize, maybe more, that it was happening, where I would just automatically be trusting God. Now, today's Sunday, okay? When I'm done here, whenever, um, by, the, by about 5 or 6 o'clock tonight, maybe 7 o'clock, I'll start thinking about next weekend, okay? And I'm not saying that to you, oh, poor Pastor Joe. No, no, this is, I live, this is my life. This is how I live. I like it. Yes. Like my job, okay? And I, I have this habit now without even realizing, I'm like, Lord, you know exactly what the people need. Whether it's here, whether it's in Wall Township, or our other campus there, whether it's at our campus at Bagel, you know what we all need. Because you know how we operate here. We all, we all preach the same message every week. So it doesn't matter where you go. You're going to get the same message, okay? So, so I'll start. And I'm just, just not, and I don't go, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, you've got to give me. I go, thank you, Father. You've never let me down yet. And you're gonna, I'm going to have the message I need for this congregation. Last Sunday when we were all snowed in, I'm like pacing like, because I'm used to being here, yeah? So I said, well, I'm not going to waste this time. I'm going to start working on my message for next weekend. I don't mean to drag this out, but I think the point is worth it. So now I'm so used to this because the Spirit of God has established such a track record with me. We've got this agreement. He's my best friend. 
we talk all the time, okay? Um, and so, so now I'm going down the basement because that's where my home office is. As I'm walking down the stairs, all I say to him is, Holy Spirit, you know what I need to preach next week. You know that I've obligated myself to teach on faith. So I've taught on faith hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in 25 years, but I want this one to be different because this is a foundational teaching. As I'm walking down the steps, I said, I expect, Lord, you know, and you do this with humility, you know, hey, you got to do. Now, I expect, Lord, that when I sit at my chair in front of my computer, you're going to give me the word that's needed. Didn't fast and pray for a week. Didn't beg, didn't throw myself on the floor. Oh, God, if you don't come through, I'm going to make a fool out of myself. I sat at the chair, and this is what I heard. Faith. God expects it. God provides for it. God will reward you for it. And I went, thank you. There's the outline. Here's the outline. Just wrote it down and just started filling it all in because this is the basic foundations of our relationship with God. You are in a relationship with God. If you're born again, you've received Christ, his spirit lives in you, you are connected to him. Could you imagine that? We don't, we're so not sensitive to the fact that the creator of the universe, his spirit lives in you. That alone will make you like, oh, God, thank you. But when it comes to faith, see, faith is the way the kingdom of God operates. Now, we're going to come back to this. Let me just give you this one more thing, and then I get back to my notes, because you guys are pulling a lot out of me this morning. And I got to make sure I get to my notes. I'm serious. I can sense it when it's being pulled. Okay, now listen. What kind of God would God be? If knowing that once he had created a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden, no sickness, no disease, no abnormalities, no, no uh, depression, no financial needs, perfect relationship, okay, provided everything that man was going to need, not just to survive but to thrive, knowing that at some point sin was going to come into that environment and corrupt everything. And now, now his creation was going to be subject to sickness, disease, poverty, depression, relational conflicts, financial disasters. What kind of God would he have been if he just left us on our own at the mercy of this whole corrupt world system. Could we then say that he's good? No. Would we say he's love? No. But he didn't leave us that way. So here's what I want you to grasp, and I want this to be the first layer of your foundation when it comes to faith. Understand this. Adam and Eve had no need to operate in faith when they were in the garden. They had everything they needed. Now, God operated in faith because that's how he created the universe. But in our lives, we don't need faith until there's a need. Are you getting this? So instead of leaving us to suffer under all the conditions that sin brought into this world, God releases in mankind the force of faith so that we then could overcome every adversity on this planet. No, you don't understand. 
You see, faith is a gift from God. Faith, listen, think of it this way. Faith is God's mercy towards you and towards me. Because when I operate in faith, I don't have to fall to the adversities of this life. I can overcome the enemy. Are you listening to me? We're going to get to those scriptures. So let's, let's get in this. No. So God expects it. Say it with me. God expects it. God provides for it. God will reward you for it. Don't forget that part. That's going to be good too. Number one, God expects it. Okay? I'm going to show you four verses of scripture. Four verses of scripture. Look at me. Look at me. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, it's extremely important that God gives us four examples of his desire for us because there is a rule and a principle in the word of God that God himself revealed to us. It's all the way back in the Old Testament. It says, let every fact, let every fact be, oh my God, I just blanked out. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every fact be established. Okay, I'll say it again. Forget that little... In the mouth of two and three witnesses, let every fact be established. That means when you claim that you see something in the word of God, it better be appear, it better appear in at least, at least two or three different places. We've got four on this one. When God gives you four, when God speaks something four times, you better listen. Number one, Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. But I want you to read this out loud with me like you really, really, truly believe it because this one's really important. Ready? One, two, three. But the just shall live by his faith. Let's say it again. Put the emphasis on his. But the just shall live by his faith. Now, for God to say that the just shall live by his faith means that we have We have faith. And we're expected to live by our faith. How many times did Jesus say to individuals in the Gospels, your faith has made you whole? Whose faith was it? Their faith. You catch it? We'll, we'll go over this more. Next one. What is it, Galatians or Romans? Romans. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The apostle Paul wrote this. For it, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who what? Believes, what can we say? What is belief? Faith, okay? For the Jew first and also for the Greek, verse 17. For in it, in what? In the gospel, the righteousness of God, which we talked about weeks ago, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. Say that loud, nice and loud. One, two, three. The just shall live by faith. Next one, Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 11 but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. In other words, nobody gets born again and nobody goes to heaven because they obeyed all the little commandments. For the, come on, for the just shall live by faith. That's three, right? One more, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. Come on, let's say it again, say it again, one, two, three. For the just shall live by faith. You can stop there. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through the writer of Hebrews. What's he saying here? He's saying you started out in faith. You started out believing, but then you let doubt come in. And he said, that conduct does not please me. Now, look at, look at, let's not go from one extreme to the other. He didn't say, I'm going to send you to hell. 
He didn't say, I'm going to hate you, don't want to be around you. He just said, I'm not really pleased with that because you started out in faith. Continue in faith. Let your faith grow. Why? Because you're going to continuously face challenges. How many realize that just because you got over one challenge or you won a victory in one area, they don't stop? Anybody realize that? Yeah, just because you, you won the battle last week, guess what? Look over the horizon. Here it comes. You getting this? You getting this? Okay. So, so let's not be the ones that draw back. Let's just continue to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to develop faith in us. Amen? Got it? So he expects it, right? He expects it. Okay. Um, see, see, the problem that we want to overcome is this that there are many born-again believers who are saved, they're going to heaven, they love the Lord, and they have faith to get born again, but they don't live their lives by faith. Can, can I just throw it out there? Most of us want to live our lives based on pity. But, but Pastor, you don't know how bad it is, Pastor. Please pray for me, pray for me. Get, I love this one. I'll, I'll help I don't hurt anybody's feelings. Other, can you get the prayer chain working? What is this prayer chain? What do you think? There's people that just sit by their phones all day long and wait for you to come up with something that they could pray? I mean, yeah, we're going to pray for you, but stop putting it. So what you're doing is, and I'm getting ahead of myself here. Please just listen. When you adopt that kind of attitude, what you're saying is, I don't want to lift a finger here. I want you to do everything for me. So the more I cry, the more I bellyache, the more I roll on the floor, I didn't sleep at all last night because I'm just crying out to God. Why? What are you crying out to God for? I'm just crying out all night. Why? Just go look in the Word. He told you already what he's going to do about that situation. How about you stay up all night rejoicing? Father, I thank you because you said that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And no matter what I'm looking at right now, Father God, I'm rejoicing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The battle is won. Thank you. Which one do you think would glorify God more? Mark chapter 4. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. What are we talking about? God expects us to have faith. Mark chapter 4, I know many of you are familiar with this story, but let's go through it. I want to take you through the mechanics of this whole thing here. On the same day, when you go to find out, on the same day, it's the same day that Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves. After that miracle's done, he gets him in a boat. Watch this now. On the same, now, now don't forget, don't forget the disciples saw him take a little lunch and feed 15,000 people. Say this with me. They saw it. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, him, Jesus, said to them, disciples, let us cross over to the other side. What did he tell them they were going to do? Turn to somebody, say, they're crossing over the other side. He told them. He told them, what are they doing? He said, where are they going? Now, when they had left the multitude, the ones that ate all the fish and the bread, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats also with him. Okay, you guys, I'm sorry my back is to you. Look at that screen, okay? <laughs> and look at, look at, look at. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, if you read this in the original language, it seems to hint that this wasn't a natural storm. It seems to hint that the devil himself whipped up this storm, 
okay? And, 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 and the real important thing to note is they're all trained fishermen except for Judas. They're used to living on this lake. They're used to being in boats and storms. And so when they got nervous, you know something's wrong. I was telling the first service years ago, we were in Springfield, Missouri one time in, in, in hurricane season, uh, tornado season, the end of May, beginning of June, starting. And we're in a hotel there, and all the people who live there all the time, they're nervous, and they're running around. You know, what's going on? What's going on? Get in your room. Stay away from the windows. What's going on? Tornado's coming. I said to the group they're with, um, these people live like this. If they're nervous, we better start praying. <laughs> and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat back, and it, and it seems to indicate that it, took the, it came from nowhere. It just swept down on them. This great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat. It was already filling. It's starting to sink. Next verse. But he, Jesus, is where? In the stern, asleep on a pillow. Now, pillows are not usually in there. He obviously took this with him because he knows, I'm going to get some rest. <laughs> and they awoke him and said to him, which they should have never said this, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Who said anything about perishing? What did he say they were doing? He didn't say anything about perishing. He said, we're crossing over to the other side. Are you getting this? And then he arose and rebuked the wind, because the wind is the source of the problem. So when you, when you rebuke the source of the problem, the results go away. So he rebukes the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and it was great calm. I don't know at that point what they were more afraid of, him or the storm. <laughs> Next verse. But he said to them, he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, look at this, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Come on, guys. How is it that you have no faith? Now, what kind of person would he have been to ask him this question? What kind of person would it have been for him to get agitated with them if they didn't have any faith? You get my point? He expected them to be able to get up. He expected them to be able to speak to the wind. He expected them to be able to tell the, 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 the sea to calm down. Why? Because they had the capability of it, and so do you. You have faith in you. He's expecting you to use it. Are you listening? Are you catching this? Because this, this, this can't be intellectually understood. This has got to get caught in your spirit. You have the same spirit in you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he is waiting for you to speak by faith and turn that switch on. You've got it in you. You listening? Let's go to Mark chapter 9. What are we talking about here? He's expecting us to have faith. Okay? Background. Jesus and two of the disciples are just coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that story? Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter and John are with him. Okay? All right? And, and they, they literally get translated from that mountain into heaven. Say, Pastor, that's... No, no. That's exactly what the Bible is showing us. Okay, what happened next did not take place on earth. Jesus gets translated together with the disciples that are with him to heaven. How do we know that? Who speaks to them? Moses and Elijah. Where are Moses and Elijah? God doesn't send people back to earth to talk to us. 
They went there, okay? So that experience is done. They come down off this mountain, and they see this commotion. There's a crowd there. Who's yelling? Who's screaming? Who's carrying on? And Jesus walks right into the middle of it. And then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. In other words, this isn't a natural sickness. This is an evil spirit that attached itself to this young man and restricted him from speaking. We're going to find out there's some other facets to this spirit later. And whenever it, it, the spirit, seizes him, the young man, it throws him, the young man, down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Here again is what I was talking about before. Most of us live by... <laughs> God, please do this for me. I don't want to lift a finger. Do this for me, okay? And he answered and said to them, oh, what? Faith, Faith what? Less generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him, the young man, to Jesus. And when he, the spirit, saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed and foaming at the mouth. And there's a whole big commotion and this spectacle going on. And I can imagine ladies and little kids were running away. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, look at this. It's so cool. What did you ask me before service? Anthony, what did you ask me before service? Put yourself in the scene. Put yourself in the scene. Okay? Watch. Now, all this commotion is going on. Children are running. Women are screaming. Guys are scared. This kid's rolling around on the, on the ground, dud, mud, mud, mud all over, dust all over him, he's foaming at the mouth. And Jesus goes, how long has this been happening to him? Calm as anything. Could you imagine this? How long has this been going on? And the father says, from childhood. Next verse. And often he, the spirit, has thrown him, the young man, both into the fire and into water to destroy him. And watch what he does now. Oh, he should have never said this. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You see it? The father doesn't have any faith. He's coming to Jesus based on pity. <laughs> Don't you see what's happening to my son? Don't you see what's happening to my son? Hey, this isn't the first time this happened. He just told Jesus this has been happening to him since he's a child. You listening to me? Yeah. Watch this now. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him to, who believes. I put myself on the scene, and, I, I, and I'm almost positive this is how it would have went. When the guy said to him, when the father said to him, but if you can do anything, Jesus would have, if I could do anything, <laughs> this ain't about what I could do. This is about what can you believe for? Are you catching this? Yes. This isn't about what Jesus is capable of. He's capable. It's about what can you believe for? Now watch this now. Thank God. Thank God the father took it the right way. Look what happens. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. He realized I got to hook up with him. I can't just come here and expect him to do everything. I got a part in this. This is my son. I've got to play a part in this. I've got to be the one that's going to pray. And together with God, do you not know that we are called and referred to as co-laborers together with Christ? 
A co-laborer doesn't sit around smoking cigarettes while the other laborer does everything. Not unless you want to keep your job anyway. Immediately, the father, the father, what did he do? He repented. He realized, my God, I could have got this kid delivered years ago. And so he changes. He tweaks his position. Lord, I believe. But then he also acknowledged, I'm not there 100% yet. And when you're humble and when you trust God, he'll take you the rest of the way. Lord, help my unbelief. And what happens? When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked. Now we know it's an unclean spirit, which usually involves sexual immorality. It's an unclean spirit. And saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the child got up and walked away healed. Had Jesus not took this man and forced, listen, listen, and forced him to confront where he was himself, that young man would have never got delivered. You have got to engage your faith with God. Why? How else are you going to show him that you trust him? And all God has ever wanted from mankind from the beginning is for us to trust him. That's why when Adam and Eve decided to not trust God anymore and trust the words of, of Satan, that was the most horrible thing they could have ever done to God. They took their trust from him and put it in the words, and put, it, put faith in the words of a liar. And all he's ever wanted back from us ever since then is our faith, our trust. That's why you can't be saved by works. Well, you know, if I just give away all my money, if I just spend all my time praying, if I go to church and light 15 candles every Sunday, God's going to see my good deeds. No, 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 no. He looks at your deeds after you come to him by faith. That's when those deeds gain a reward. They don't gain salvation. It's faith. We are saved by faith. We are justified by faith. We are declared righteous by faith. It's about what we believe, not what we do. No, please, you've got to get this faith built in you. You've got to get this fact built in you. When you got born again, you automatically are expected of God to start operating in faith. You catching this? So he expects it. He provides it. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He expects it, and he provides it. Paul's writing to the church at Rome. For I say to you, through the grace given to me, to everyone who's among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought. In other words, have, have the proper uh, perspective of yourself, okay? But to think soberly. Look at this. Follow me. Follow me. See where it says yellow? Watch this. In yellow. God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I really like it in the King James more because I think it's closer to the original intent. It says it this way. For God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. How do we know that's more accurate? Because God already told us in his word that he's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't treat one person better than somebody else. He treats everyone the same. So he automatically, just due to the nature, the nature of God, we know that, that you and I all receive the same measure of faith. Think about it as a seed. Every human being that's ever been conceived 
has the seed of faith. You operated in it before you were even born again. You walked in this room and you had, without even thinking about it, you sat in a chair. You had faith that that chair was going to uphold you. You walk into an office building, you have faith that when you push that button, those doors are going to open and that elevator is going to take you to whatever floor you want to go to. You do it automatically. You go to a doctor who's just another human being just like you, except he's got to put more things on a wall. Okay? Went through some education, received some information, but for the most part, you're still practicing. But, but you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? And listen, as a Christian, I go to a doctor, but I pray for that doctor. He's got more information than I have. He may even have a calling from God and may be anointed to bring healing through natural means. That's not the devil. Okay? But I'm still putting my faith in another human being. How do I know he didn't get up in a bad mood that morning? How do I know he didn't get in a fight with his wife that day and I was going to take it out on everybody else? But we do. We go there. Well, the doctor said, the doctor said, I need to take this on my head, standing on my head, looking to the east with my fingers in my ears. And we'll do it. We'll do it. Because next week, then they'll come out with a report that, no, you can't do that standing on your head anymore. They found out that standing on your head doesn't work. And we'll go, okay, so what do you want? We want you to sit on a chair facing backwards. And we'll do it, because the doctor said. And I'm not against doctors, trust me. But I pray for my doctor. I know it's God working through him. Big difference, okay? But we automatically operate in faith. And then when you become Christian, you go, oh, my God, it's so hard to operate in faith. No, it's not. You've been doing it your whole life. You go to work. At the end of the week, you have faith that you're going to receive a paycheck. Or every other week, whatever. You see what I'm saying? We already have it in us. It's a matter of operating now in the spirit realm. Because every decision you make that you speak with your mouth affects the spirit realm. Because you're a spirit being. You're born again. You're a different species than every other person on this earth. Not better than, just different. Are you listening to me? And you have now tapped into the force of faith which gives you the opportunity to overcome every adversity. First John chapter 5. Oh, I love this scripture. First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. I'm just kidding. See, I automatically have faith that they're going to... We got it? 1 John 5, 4. I know, it's not fair to them because I'm skipping around here. What's up? What's up? What's up with you? Look at this now. Look at this now. Now, I want you, I want you to know this ahead of time. This is not a wishful thought. This is a statement of fact. I'm going to go through it with you. Okay? And, and please... Avoid and resist the temptation. Oh, I know that scripture. Yeah, we're impressed. But you, you, maybe you need to know it now in the season that you're in now. Okay, watch this now. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Simple fact. 
For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, let me ask you this question. I'm not doing this to point anybody out or make a spectacle here. How many of you have been born of God? You are born again. You are born of the Spirit. Let me see your hands. It's talking about you. It's not talking about someday in the future. God makes the statement. The Holy Ghost, writing through the Apostle John, says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, watch this now. He wrote this after he wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote this after he was banished to a little rock in the middle of the Mediterranean and came home. And after having that experience of overcoming all the cruelties of the Roman Empire, he says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. How do we overcome the world? With our faith. Verse 5. Now he turns it around. So God's trying to enforce this thought. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So let me ask this question. How many of you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Come on, raise your hands. Come on. Don't be too lazy. So you believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God? Guess what? You overcome the world. Well, pastor, I'm like, I don't want... Oh, oh you don't see the significance? So when something comes to try to overcome you, you rise up and say, oh, excuse me, I'm a believer. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I am born of God. I overcome you. You don't overcome me. You listen? But what do we do? Is This is what we do. The devil convinces us, well, you don't really have it yet. So now you try to work it up and work it up and work it up and work it up. Yeah, yeah I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, child of God, child of God, child of God. Every time you repeat that, you're undermining yourself because it's already done. It was a faith statement. It was a statement of fact. He who was born of God overcomes the world. How do we overcome the world? Even our faith. You have it in you. He's expecting us to use it. And he rewards those who do. Let's go to that one. He rewards those. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6. <laughs> Follow me. I know this, this, this first scripture um, is going to be very uh, familiar to you, okay? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who's him? God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, but watch that now. He's telling us it's not enough to just believe that he is. We believe that he is and that he's what? Say it with me nice and loud. He is a rewarder. That's not loud. That's not. When you get lazy, I'm the one that's tired. I, this is my third service this weekend. You guys just got here. I had to get out of bed when it was 17 degrees this morning. Nice and loud. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe in God. Well, the devil believes in God too, but he's going to hell. Oh, I believe in God. I don't know about that Jesus stuff, but I believe in God. It's not enough to believe that he is. You've got to believe that he's a rewarder. Why? Because there are thousands and millions of people throughout the ages who believe that he was, but never believed that he would reward them. 
because the religious system that we're in told him, you need to be poor, you need to be sick, you, got, you can't have anything in this world, I don't want any of the world's goods, well, good, bring them here. Because we know what to do with them. Okay? You listening to me? It's not enough to believe that he is. You've got to believe that he's a rewarder. And it's, it's not like, well, you're always looking for stuff from God. That wasn't my idea. This is his plan. We didn't go to God and say, listen, if I trust in you, will give me this and give me that and do that? And then will you heal me? Will you give me? No, this was his eye. He said, if you come and diligently seek me, guess what? I'll reward you. He's a rewarder. He's a good God. He's not looking to take anything from you. He's looking to set you up so you can get whatever you need, whether it's peace of mind, whether it's direction for your future, whether it's a godly relationship, whether it's the money to pay your bills so you can live in a house drive a car, put gas in a car. Now, you really need faith for that. You hear what I'm saying? So, we've got to believe that he's a rewarder. So, then we should see some things in the word of God where people actually got rewarded, yes or no? Because if he's saying this is true, then we should see the evidence of it, right? Okay, I'm glad you asked. James chapter 2. Now, this I want to read to you from the contemporary English version because I really like to really brings the truth out. You got it? Listen. James wrote this. James is, you know who James is, right? Jesus' is brother, right? That, that blew to mind. If, when I, as a Catholic, when I, I said, what? what do you mean Jesus has brothers? When I first got born again, I was like, what, what do you mean Jesus has brothers? He did. He does. Well, our ancestor Abraham pleased God. Remember what it said? It can't, can't, it's impossible to please him without faith, right? Well, our ancestor Abraham pleased God by putting his son Isaac on the altar to sacrifice him. You remember that story, right? Okay. After Abraham waited 25 years for this kid to show up, and the kid's about 15, 16 years old, and God says to him, sacrifice your son. I would have went, are you out of your mind? But Abraham did what he needed to do, Okay. Um, go back, go back. Well, our ancestor Abraham pleased God by putting his son Isaac on the altar to what? Sacrifice him. That's a step of faith, right? Yes. Is it not a step of faith? Yes. Next verse. Now you see how Abraham's faith and deeds work together, and he proved that his faith was real by what? What he did. He actually went and put his son on that stone and lifted up the dagger and the angel had to talk to him from heaven and said, stop. I see now your faith by your actions, okay? Next verse. This is what the scriptures mean by saying, Abraham had faith in God and God was pleased with him. That's how Abraham became what? God's friend. So it's, you, know, you don't have to be a biblical scholar here. What was the reward for Abraham's faith? He became God's friend, and God begins to refer to him as Abraham, the friend of God. Now, that's covenant language. That means that Abram's faith qualified him to come into another deeper relationship with God. He, he, he came in covenant with him. That means that everything that God has, Abram has access to. Everything that Abram has, God has access to. See, we like the first part of the covenant. We're not too crazy about the second part of the covenant. You hear what I'm saying? He's a rewarder. He's a rewarder. 
And we see it all throughout the word. Okay? Now, Genesis 15 says, uh, let me see, do I want to go there? Yeah. You going to give me a few more minutes? You've been great up until this point. Don't, don't fail me now. Let me paraphrase the rest of this, okay? Genesis 14, this is what the account tells us. Abram has to go fight a battle against five kings. Abram only has 318 servants. They're used to feeding sheep. They're used to, you know, but he's put them together. They're going to go to battle. Abram's going to go rescue his nephew who was captured when these five kings went and captured him in whatever city he was living in. I don't want to go into all the details. So it takes faith for Abraham to go fight this battle. On the way back from the battle, because, you know, back then they fought wars with common sense. When you defeated somebody, you took their stuff. Today we defeat somebody and then we go into debt to build their country back up again. Real smart, okay? All right, so, so Abram takes all... That went over real big, by the way. Abram, <laughs> Abram takes all their stuff, and on the way back... Because, you know, they went after Abram. Abram's like, you want a piece of me? Then I'm going to take what you have, okay? And so Abram now, on the way back from that battle, stops at a place called Salem, which eventually becomes Jerusalem. And in Salem, there's a man there named Melchizedek. Well, it's his title, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, okay? He stops there. This is God's priest for that area, and he gives him 10% of everything that he took, all right? And so now Genesis chapter 15, the very next chapter, it tells us after these things, what things? Abraham fighting this battle by faith. Abraham, by faith, giving 10% of everything he took from these guys to this priest, now qualified him to receive a reward. And Genesis 15, God says to him, appears to him in a vision, says to him, um, here's paraphrasing, you now work for me. You read the original language, he says to him, I am your paymaster. I am your compensator. In other words, back then, when people worked, you got paid at the end of the day. You went to the paymaster, he paid you. Okay, you got this? Today, we have to wait a week, wait two weeks, once a month, whatever. But so he, basically what Abraham heard was, I work for you now, God. God says to him, I am your reward. I am your paymaster. You're on my payroll now. You work for me. And then Abraham responds and says, well, Lord, what are you going to give me since I have no son? And the guy who's in charge of my household, who's a stranger, he's going to inherit. In other words, what good is you giving me all this stuff? When I die, I got to leave it to a stranger. And God says, no, no, no. You're going to have a son that's going to come from your body. And I'm going to establish my covenant with him. Listen to me. Abraham triggered this. God desired it. <coughs> Excuse me. God desired it, but Abraham triggered it. There's a lot of things that God desires for your life and my life. It's hovering over us. It's called grace. And just like in the beginning in creation, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the deep, okay? The Holy Ghost is hovering over your life. He desires to bring things into your life that God has planned for you. But somebody has to speak. Somebody has to have faith. And when God said, let there be light, boom. Abram 
had a great plan for his life. God had an amazing plan, not just to establish a family, but to establish a nation. And out of that nation and out of that family, he would, he would bring prophets, and those prophets would speak about this Messiah that would come in the future. God had an amazing plan for Abram, but Abram had to trigger it. And when so every time Abraham took a step of faith and trusted God, God honored him, and ink give him an upgrade. The covenant gets better and better and better and better. But he triggered it. You remember the woman that had that issue of blood for 12 years? Hemorrhaging for 12 years. Weak. Broke. She spent everything she had on doctors. The Bible says she got worse, not better. She heard. She heard about Jesus. And based on what she heard, faith rose up in her heart, and she began to say, if I just can touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Jesus is walking through the crowds. Jesus has the power. Jesus has the anointing. Jesus has what it takes. But she's in her house. She could have stayed for another 50 years saying, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed. Oh, if I could just, 10 years later, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. What'd she do? She got up off the couch. She shut the TV off, and she went to where Jesus was. And, and, and when she touched the hem of his garment... Jesus goes, whoa, power just went out from me. Who touched me? Peter's like, are you joking? There's thousands of people here, and they're all, and you're asking who touched you? No, 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 somebody touched me different. It was the touch of faith. And when she touched that garment, boom, like a chemical reaction, it just went out of him, and she was totally, totally healed. You have faith. God expects you to use it. He provided it for you, and he'll reward you when you do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. We're good? Now, listen. Brian, you're coming up here? Oh, you are. Okay, never mind. Not yet. Don't move. We're not done yet. You've been good up until this point. Listen to me. For those of you that have never responded to the invitation of the Holy Spirit pulling on your heart, telling you, I want you to have this life. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to spend eternity with Jesus. When you respond to that and say, yeah, I want Jesus. I want to be born again. I want my sins forgiven. I want a fresh start. I want a life with God. I want Jesus' spirit living in me. When you pray the prayer, you're taking action. And God will reward you because it takes faith to do that. Now, we don't have a lot of time here. I don't want to waste a lot of time. We're going to do this. I know, there, I know there can't be a crowd this size without having at least a few people who have never prayed this prayer. So for your behalf and for your sake, we're all going to pray it with you together. Okay. Let's make this declaration of faith right now. And for those of you that have never done this before, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will, you will sense the impact of the Holy Spirit in your heart when you say this by faith. Ready? Repeat this after me. Father, Father I, believe I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he came to this earth, died on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe you raised him from the dead. He's alive right now. 
and he hears my prayer. So Jesus, I trust you. My faith is in you. I accept your invitation. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for making me a child of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. One more step of faith I'm going to give you when we're all done. After Pastor Pam comes up here, ready to dismiss. Those of you that prayed that prayer, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put you on the, on what do they call it? Honesty? Uh, what do you call it? Honor system. Honor system. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to ask you to stand up. What I will ask you is this. When everybody else is being dismissed, there's going to be other people coming up here for prayer. Would you please come up at that point and tell those that are standing up here, I prayed that prayer today for the first time. It's so important that you take that next step. Shove it in the devil's face. Shove it in the devil's face. Say, I prayed that prayer today. We're going to give you a Bible. We want to know who you are. We want to help you on this adventure that you're on now. It doesn't stop here today. It just begins today. Amen? God bless you so much. Thank you for being such good listeners today. Pastor Pam, come on.